0: And welcome to Diary of an Overcomer, the podcast that takes a look at the issues of addiction, domestic violence, and homelessness through the stories of women who have overcome them. Each episode, we highlight one issue and share a story of an overcomer, discussing the common questions people have and the possible solutions that are out there. I'm your host, Jen Harp, along with my co host, Carol Patterson, the CEO of Shepherd's Gate a nonprofit that helps women and children escape the cycles of addiction, homelessness, and abuse. Between the two of us, we have over 45 years experience working with people who have struggled in these areas. And we both share a deep desire to help people overcome. So thank you for listening and let's get started.
1: Hi, this is Carol Patterson, the CEO of Shepherd's Gate, and today I'm the host of A Diary of an Overcomer, and today we wanted to kind of dig deep on our host, Jen Hart. Welcome, Jen. Thank you, Carol. So, Jen, where uh, where did you grow up, and, and what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Born
0: and raised in California, and I always wanted to be a Wonder Woman pretty much since I was about three or four years old and a police officer. I wanted to fight crime from a very young age, but I'll have to say that my father had been a police officer for 36 years. So growing up in a, a police officer's home, that probably isn't very unusual. But I remember deciding some age that I just didn't have the body to do either one of those, to wear that bathing suit of Wonder Woman, basically, nor did I have the stamina of running down criminals like a police officer. I pretty much settled on after high school that I was going to be a lawyer. In college, I did not want to go on to law school. And so I changed my major quite a few times and I, I dropped out. My parents were devastated. Oh, they were absolutely devastated. I loved what I was doing. I worked at a home decor shop. I was the youngest manager in a nationwide company. I worked in a, their largest store and I managed it. And so I, I just loved what I was doing there. We moved to the Bay Area when after about my first year of marriage, I started working in an office. So I'm kind of a- answering the second question. Gotcha. Along
1: with it. That's
0: okay. I'm just molding right into it. I actually was volunteering at my church as his secretary, and he got the notice that Shepherd's Gate was hiring for exactly what I was doing for him, but it was a paid position, which he knew I needed. Clyde, and they ended up hiring me to be their accounts payable person. I am not skilled in accounts payable, I'll tell you that much. My office, a tiny little basement office, I loved every minute of it. God knew exactly what he was doing because he brought me to Shepherd's Gate. And about a month after I was hired, our public relations person left. I was asked to do a few public relations things in her absence. I found my groove. I just absolutely fell in love with it. My bosses really loved the fact that I took the reins and just ran with it. And so from that point, I spent almost 17 years at Shepherds Gate working in their marketing. And I ended my career
1: there as their director of marketing. Why a nonprofit that serves women that suffer from addiction and homelessness and poverty and domestic violence? Why this ministry?
0: I didn't come from an abusive family or an addicted family. My family was never homeless. My earliest recollection of homelessness was walking in downtown San Diego on Broadway. And I was, I had been about five. I was holding my dad's hand. We were waiting for, to cross the street. And there was a homeless gentleman on the sidewalk. And at five, I was about eye level with him and my dad was facing the street and he said, hey, do you, do you think you could give me some money? And so I was thinking, hey, my I know my dad has money and you need money. That's a perfect combination right there. So when I was tugging on my dad and I said, he needs money. Mm-hmm. And my dad is ever so like very diplomatic and just, and so he, I remember him telling me, you know, we don't give to people who are on the streets. We give to the LA Rescue Mission They've people get off the streets and feed them and clothe them. And I was angry with my dad. I remember being very, very mad. I didn't even want to cross the street with them because I thought he told me because we don't want them to buy drugs and alcohol. And at five, I didn't know what drugs and alcohol were, Right. but I thought, who cares what he buys with it? He doesn't have a home. He's sleeping on the streets. So in my childlike mind, I was thinking why aren't you doing this? And and that was a very early memory that I had of realizing that people don't have a home. And it stuck with me my whole life, like feeling like I wanted to do something and not being able to do something as a child. That started the stirring of my okay. heart.
1: Why did you start the documentary series of 24 in a Car?
0: So 24 in Your Car was... I always said it was like a live in your car-a-thon. It was a 24-hour event where people would gather sponsorships, just like a -a walk-a-thon. You know, we were asking that they would gather 10 sponsors of $24, and then they would live in their car for a 24-hour period at this event. So it was like we held it in a parking lot. And during the event, we had speakers who had been homeless. We had Workshops where people put together packages for homeless um, people who are experiencing homelessness. We had a concert. We had um, an Iron Chef contest with um, stuff from a convenience store that you could only buy for five dollars. We just had it was an event experience. We called it. It helped people first of all feel empathy, which empathy defined is feeling what it's like to walk a mile in somebody else's shoes, and then once we felt that, that it would stir up compassion and compassion defined is a strong urge to alleviate another's suffering. And so those were the things that was like, feel it and then do something about it. And that's what 24 in your car was originally created because we had so many women at shepherd's gate who had experienced living in their car. Right. With kids. The one story that just socked me in the gut was a woman with five kids who had lived in her van for a Mm -hmm. period of a few weeks and just having to coordinate how to feed, how to get them showers, how to get them to the bathroom. It was summertime, you know, how do you stay cool? It just blew my mind hearing her story. We had created this event with some very creative people on our team who had this, you know, we were thinking of doing some sort of an event that would really be an experience for people to take them out of their current comfort zones and to help them
1: to feel what it was like to live in somebody else's shoes, just a micro taste of it. But even your documentary videos of you personally living in your car and how you navigated through those days, survived on small bits of money. We had
0: wanted to raise that first year. We wanted to raise some awareness about the event and about the cause I was just kind of a willing person to do it. We tried to get my executive director to do it and he flat refused. And so I thought, well, I could do it. My sister had a Honda Odyssey van that she le- allowed me to use. So that first year going into it, I documented it, which is just a ridiculous documentary. You keep calling it.
1: It was honest of you looking well, for where you were going to go, the bathroom. Yeah. How where you park. Were where you, there was a what lot you were going gonna to buy with your, how much did you allow yourself a
0: day for food? So we broke it down at the time a woman could get 200 and I think it was $240 general assistance in a month. So I was living in that van for a week. So I broke that down into four pieces. And then, so it ended up being that first year, it ended up being about $5 a day that I could spend and I had to buy gas and then food was kind of planning it out with that in mind that I was a working woman, but I was having to live in a van. And so that was kind of my backstory. How do I charge my laptop so that I can keep working? And then where do I sleep? So when I first went into it, I thought this is going to be a cinch. It's going to be kind of fun. It's going to be like urban camping. My husband laid out the, you know, they covered the windows in the van and we put a Bed back there, and figured out how I was gonna what to take and stuff like that. My dad and my husband bought pepper spray for me, so I had this bright pink pepper spray cans of pepper spray. I just went into it thinking it's just gonna be like camping, and I couldn't believe that first night laying there in the van. And you're vulnerable because you're in a parking lot. I I went to um you know a neighborhood, and then you think like for if somebody parked in my neighborhood. My neighbors would call the police easily if they saw just a random van and it was there. It kept being there overnight or even for one night. I have one neighbor that would probably call that first night. You're trying to fly on the down low. You're trying not to be noticed. And then you're trying to feel safe yourself. And I was doing this all through social media too. And so I'd ask, you know, where do you think I should sleep tonight? And then some people would say hospital because, you know, some people have family in the hospital and then, they sleep in their car so i went there it was very spooky at night but it's just weird how some places could look so inviting during the day and then you're alone by yourself and at night you just wouldn't sleep there yeah it was just kind of figuring that out so it was quite i i did that 3 years in a row each year was 1 week and each year we kind of tried to mix it up the second year I actually tried to live free of charge, which I did end up doing because I had a lot of people tell me, oh, I wish I got paid more. I would help homeless people more or, you know, people struggling more if I had more money. I wanted to kind of show them that it really doesn't take a lot of money. Took the $5 a day and each day I would show them what $5 or I'd save it for two days, what $10 could buy. Made lunches and I went and delivered lunches to a homeless encampment. Each year was a different challenge to bring attention to the people that were having to experience this. You know, for mm-hmm. me, it was a micro taste. I never, I knew that I could drive to my house and get out of my van and, Anytime, or use my debit card and buy a real meal or whatever. Because I went to soup kitchens
1: too, and that was very sobering, very humbling. Touch on the, sh- the shame that homeless people feel. Yes. Um, and the desperation. Women do park at three locations a night. They move around to feel safe and not to be questioned by the police. I appreciate how you're honest and raw and real, because I think that that is something that you and I share. We just Mm -hmm. don't talk about these topics. We really investigate and want to experience what it's like. Multiple times I've talked about the bus lines and how Mm -hmm. the homeless sleep on buses. Well, I'm going down there to see what is that all about? Or a woman that lives in poverty and has to take the bus to drop her kids off at school. And then she takes another bus to her job and walks two miles. I have walked in those women's shoes. I have been in houses in Philadelphia where a family is trying to live, but They don't have a bed and they're sleeping on dirty clothes and the window is smashed out and the cold air from the snow is coming in. These are real life situations that both you and I have witnessed. And we talk from the heart. We investigate. God's led us to speak on this topic and also to produce these podcasts to bring awareness because it's not fluff. This is a real life situation of many people's lives. We want to show you how God transforms their lives and brings them to overcome their particular Absolutely. hindrance. So last question, Jen. Yes. Okay. So what have you learned as a professional Christian woman that would help other Christian women or men? The biggest thing that I would tell them
0: is, To be real. Oftentimes, I say that. I mean, I never thought I'd be old (laughs) enough to say that. Nowadays, I feel like it's less and less popular to hold to Christian values and be a Christian person in the workplace. So a lot of times people feel like they have to turn that spiritual part of them off and be, and it's not professional if you talk about Jesus or talk about the Lord or say that you pray and stuff. I would encourage them to be who they are in and out of the workplace, because Jesus is with you wherever you go. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to use words. I mean, I have, I th- I was born with a goofy personality. Joy comes from just knowing my Savior. And so that would be, I think, one of the things that even when I worked professionally in an office or I was always just very open about my faith, if somebody asked, and like I said, you don't have to always use words, it's just sometimes the action. So volunteering has been a big part of my life, whether it's in my church or outside of my church with organizations. When you do a lot of that, sometimes you have people that'll ask you, you know, why are you going there why do you volunteer there it'll open up a door to share my faith i never wanted to be ashamed of being a christian and believing in god because you know there's a bible verse that talks about if you deny me i'll deny you and so i just Mm -hmm. thought nope i don't think go down that road with you god I don't ever want to be guilty of that. I'm guilty of a lot more things, but not that. (laughs) That's probably one of the big things I would say is that as a professional, make sure that you're being a good steward of your time. Make sure that you're being, go over and above, be above reproach and stand out. And then when they ask,
1: give the glory to God. That's the piece of advice that I would give. Hats off to our husbands who support us in our Our ministries, it's important that you have that. I would say that that is important to anyone that's thinking of going into nonprofit or into ministry that you need a prayer partner or group behind you to support you because yes, it's, it's crucial. And so I'm so thankful that God would bless me with my husband to fill that role for me. And I did know that completely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Jen. It's been great talking with you and I look forward to our next podcast when we Mm -hmm. tackle another topic.
0: If you found this podcast helpful, please do us a favor and hit subscribe. And then in the comment section, please feel free to share your own story of overcoming. Thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to next time.